an expert's view on the security of US voting machines, Primera Blue Cross accused of destroying evidence of a data breach, and blockchain's potential in security and authentication. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. This week, I had the privilege of interviewing Barbara Simons. Barbara has been on the Board of Advisors of the US Election Assistance Commission since she was appointed by Senator Reid in 2008. But Barbara also quite literally wrote the book on voting technology and its vulnerabilities, titled Broken Ballots, Will Your Vote Count with Douglas Jones? Since Broken Ballots was published first in 2012, I asked Barbara where the vulnerabilities remain today in voting technology and what this means for the midterm elections. Here's her response. What we really have are voting computers. And I think anybody who's been reading the news for the past few years understands that computers are vulnerable. They're certainly vulnerable to attacks, to hacking. They're also vulnerable to software bugs uh, and other unintentional errors that can occur. Uh, and, um, And yet, as a result of this early wrong perception that paper was not a good technology to use for voting, the initial, many of these initial voting computers that came out were paperless, which meant that it was impossible to do a recount. And uh, I'm actually pretty horrified by the fact that there are still 13 states in the United States today in which voters will be casting their ballots in this upcoming midterm election on paperless, unrecountable, vulnerable, voting computers. Five of these states, in five of these states, everybody will be voting on these machines. And in another eight states, a a portion of the population will be voting on them. So among the five states, for example, is Georgia, which is a big battleground state. In fact, there's actually a court case trying to force the state to use paper ballots. Hopefully that'll work, but that remains to be seen. Uh, But if it doesn't, then Everybody in Georgia who casts a ballot in the polling place will be voting on these paperless machines that we have known how to hack since 2006 and that we can that we also know can be hacked remotely today. In fact, there's a video on the verified voting website uh, made by Alex Halderman, made by the New York Times with Alex Halderman, who's a professor, University of Michigan professor who's a technology fellow of ours, showing how he can remotely hack into these machines. And yet they are going to be used in in a critical midterm coming up in November. Another, as I say, eight states are partially paperless. Uh, A good example is Pennsylvania, where 83% of the population will be voting on paperless machines. Again, they cannot be recounted. So if there's any question about the accuracy of the results, whether or not there's been any, any, any problems, either intentional or unintentional, there's no way to check these machines, which, uh, to my way of thinking, is, is, is a national disgrace. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. In a class action lawsuit against Primera Blue Cross in Portland, Oregon, Plaintiffs allege the company destroyed a computer that may be key to proving sensitive data ended up in hackers' hands after a 2014 intrusion. Here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, with more. What happened to A23567-D? 
That's a computer that may be the key one used by hackers during Primera Blue Cross's 2014 data breach. The health insurer is facing a class action lawsuit in federal court in Portland. As the case continues, the plaintiffs filed a motion late last month that alleges Primera willfully destroyed that computer. The plaintiffs now contend that they have no way to figure out if the hackers actually exfiltrated personal data for 11 million Primera clients. The motion is asking a federal judge to instruct the jury at trial to assume that data was removed. It also seeks to prevent any experts from testifying that no exfiltration occurred. Primera disagrees with the motion and plans to file a response. Forensic experts from Mandiant found 35 computers that showed signs of tampering as a result of the intrusion. The destroyed computer was one of those 35. It belonged to a developer and had privileges for some of the company's most important databases. The computer was also the only one to be infected with a type of malware called Photo. The malware could be used to upload and download files, modify the registry and processes, and execute programs. Mandian found that the intruders had daily contact with the computer as it communicated with an outside domain. Last November, lawyers for the plaintiffs asked for the forensic images of the 35 computers. However, Primera could only provide images for 34, saying that the 35th had been destroyed. In discovery filings, Primera contends that the computer's destruction was unintentional. While Mandiant sequestered the other 34 computers, the 35th was unintentionally filed as end of life. It remained unused and offline for a year within Primera's client technology services. Eventually, it was sent to Primera's personal computer distribution center and listed as destroyed by December 2016. The plaintiffs in the lawsuit anticipate that Primera will contend victims suffered no damage because there's no proof confidential information was actually removed. The missing machine aids at defense, and the victim's claims become harder to justify. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, at the recent RSA APJ 2018 conference in Singapore, my colleague and Global Director of Programming Editorial and Senior Editor at ISMG, Varun Haran, got the opportunity to speak with Lawrence Pitt, the Global Security Strategy Director at Juniper Networks. Varun asked him about the potential for blockchain in security management, and more specifically in authentication. Here's Lawrence Pitt. So I haven't seen a great deal coming to market, but when you think about what we could do here, I mean, secure configuration is going to be a great example here. If you are a very large global organization, um, actually knowing that the configuration of your devices is at a point where you know it's controlled and you know exactly what it is, is key. I mean, that, that's going to save a lot of time for the security operations center because they would immediately know if a change has been made that shouldn't be there. They have the power to control those changes. So I think that's somewhere where we will see things happen in the future. The other place is going to be around controlling who has access to those systems as well with a blockchain that's storing the users and controlling the users who are accessing those systems. That's probably a very obvious use case to do that. And I think that's somewhere where we're going to see growth, not just in security, but actually for general authentication of systems as well, around knowing who a user is and then separating the identities out. Right. I think you make a great point there uh, about authentication, right? So is there any potential for the existing client server model of authentication to change with blockchains? What do you see happening over there? I think there definitely is, actually. Um, I mean, when we look at how client servers run up to this point, uh, it's been very clear that 
we tend to be reliant on a single back end to that system. So we have one database that people access, and that, that's brought security risks for companies. You know, breaches occur because somebody gets the username and password, and then they have access to absolutely everything. If you look, take, for example, the General Data Protection Regulation, that's actually driving towards obfuscation of different types of data for users. Look at medical data. The information about you as a patient will be in one database. If you go to a hospital and you have x-rays done, that has to be stored somewhere else. Now, if both of those were stored within blockchain databases, possibly with the authentication stored somewhere else, we now have a ledger that is actually A, making sure that data is valid and it's what you expect it to be, B, preventing access to it, and C, meaning that I only have to expose exactly what I want to expose. So your um, patient identification number and your factored authentication for actually getting in and see those records, that may be stored in a public blockchain, but then your information about your x-rays that have been done and your prescriptions, that may only be fully accessible to your doctor whereas you would be able to see the information about where you live, how to do a re-prescription and things like that. So being able to break this up is going to be, I think that is going to be quite interesting when people start to get that right. So it's definitely going to change the models, yeah. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time. Bye.